Calvary? is now on. It's a joy to be with you this morning. My name is Thomas, if we've never had the opportunity to meet. And I'm on staff here at the church, and it's my joy to be able to open up the scriptures with us regularly on the weekend and see what God's word says to us. And if you're new to Calvary, one of our hallmark is that we love to go through books of the Bible, and we do it differently from time to time. There are times in which we do a market up series, which is really a verse by verse circle keywords. It's a slow study. And then there are studies that we do through a certain book. And, and this will be one of those where we're looking at chapters. And so my encouragement to you is that you would read the texts before we gather today. And so if you haven't read the whole book of Revelation yet, don't worry. There is still time. This morning, we're going to open up and try to give a frame of what this book is and then next week, we're really going to start unpacking chapter one. So if you haven't read chapter one yet, I'd encourage you to do it. All right, those are the announcements on the book of Revelation. How many of you are excited to start this book? Yeah. <laughs> okay, Revelation, in a sense, is one of the most interesting books in your Bible. Because there's not a book like it that draws out so many ideas from the Christian mind. For example, if I said, get excited, we're starting the book of Philemon, <laughs> what would you immediately think about? You're like, uh, I don't even know if I've read that book. Is that a New Testament book, an Old Testament book? Is that a prophecy? Like, what is Philemon? But if I say we're starting Revelation, there are all kinds of ideas in this room. And I'm excited to go through the book of Revelation. Now, some people are really nervous to go through the book of Revelation. I've talked to a few of you, and you've expressed reasons why you're a bit timid to enter this book. One of the reasons is that you would think it's, it's, so, under, it's so unable to be understood. It's like it's bizarre. I don't get it. Like It's so different than the Gospels, where it just talks about the historical life of Jesus. And so I just kind of avoid the book because it feels like it's, it's impossible to understand it. Another group of people say, well, I don't really want to go to the book of Revelation at Calvary because I like the church as it is, and this book is super divisive. And I've been at churches where people bring their opinions to the book of Revelation, and it divides people. And so because there's been such divisiveness around this book, I'm a little nervous for us to go through it. Another person had told me, well, it's because there's just weird stuff in there and it's unsettling. There's parts about it that actually cause me to be afraid. And so I don't want to open this book because of what it contains. And so I don't know if you're excited this morning, if you're like, I've actually never read this book before. What is he talking about? Now I'm excited to read it. Or if you've come thinking, I have studied this for years and I can't wait to for Thomas to teach it just like I understand it. I don't know what, what you, what's in your mind as you come to the book of Revelation, but my guess is something is in your mind, which makes this book so unique. Now, one of my desires is that as we journey through this book, and you'll see it in a minute, is that it'd be to our benefit. And not only to our benefit to build us up as Christians, but really to our benefit as we follow Jesus together. Never forget, Jesus prayed for this moment in history. Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 to the Father. Father, I pray for all those who would follow me afterwards. 
that they would be one. That they'd be one, they'd be united as you and I are one. And that the world, seeing their oneness, would believe the truth of the gospel. And so by no means should we allow the word of God to break us apart and ruin our testimony, our witness to the world. So with that in your mind, let's pray. Father God, I am so excited to open up the book of Revelation and to see things that perhaps my friends in this room have never seen before. And to open up a book that is usually remained closed for fear and timidity, for lack of understanding, we pray that you would give us understanding. And Father, we just surrender the next four and a half months to you. And we ask that you would go before us and that you have placed the texts on certain weekends divinely to speak to us as a community, to speak to us as individuals, to build up your church in our anticipation of your return. And so it's in the name of Jesus we pray this. Amen. All right, grab your Bibles. Let's read a couple of verses together. Revelation chapter 1. And I'm going to read the first eight verses this morning. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the word of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests. To his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Man, that should get you excited. That should talk to you about the things in which we actually hope for, that we long for, that we anticipate. Now, here's the reality, is that when we come to this book, there are many things that are in our mind. We already talked about a few of the, the fears that people have. But there's an idea about this book because it's so colorful. And so some people take the book of Revelation. It's the last book in our Bible. It's the conclusion of the biblical story, the narrative. And we, we take it as a crystal ball. So there are people, there are Christians that are like, man, Revelation is this like the Christian access to all of these events in the future. And you just have to like hold it and it's going to help you see the things to come. Other people say, okay, okay, it's not a crystal ball about the future. It's really something to be studied and decoded. 
It's hidden codes. And so if you look at all the right words, and you have all the right numbers, you can decode it in such a way as to interpret not only the past, but also the future. Other people who say it's not a crystal ball, it's not something to be decoded, would just simply say, okay, this is just fantasy. I mean, did you read the book? It talks about dragons and beasts and angels and fire. I mean, that's what I see in a fantasy book. And so it's not to be taken in any sense with any integrity. It's just a wild story. And then others say, yeah, there's nothing about this book that can be understood. In fact, we should just keep it locked up. Like, don't open the book. There's too many problems. It's like Pandora's box. Leave it alone. So maybe one of these views, if you'd be honest with yourself, is the view that you have as you come to the book of Revelation, like a crystal ball to interpret the future, something to be decoded to understand the past, simply a fantasy story that's very colorful, but you don't know what to do with it, or, man, leave it alone and keep it locked up. If there's one word I would want you to have in your mind when you think about Revelation, if someone were to ask you, what is the book of Revelation about? What do you get if you study the book of Revelation? Why would you take time to invest yourself in this book? One word is blessed. Not crystal ball, not decoding, not fantasy, not locked but blessed. If you look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, this is how the book opens. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. This book is the, the, the only book that has the audacity to say you will be blessed by it. It is to your benefit to know it. Blessed are the ones that understand what's written here and live it out. Blessed is the one who picks up this book. Now, we think of this word blessing, we automatically have like an aversion to that. Like, well, what do you mean by blessed? Because we don't want anything to do with like a prosperity gospel. But in a real sense, I would tell you this. Prosperous are you. Now, not financially, like I'm going to make more money and date better looking people, you know. But prosperous are you to know what these words are and to live it out. If you take time with us this fall to know what has been written, you will be blessed. See, the book doesn't even just begin with this word. It ends with this. If you go all the way to the back of Revelation chapter 22, the, the whole revelation ends with, and behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now you're going to see seven blessings in the book. We're going to see seven all over the place. Seven trumpets, seven bowls, seven seals, seven spirits. I mean, seven is everything. Complete is really what seven's about. And so the book opens with this line, blessed are you who read, understand, and do. And the book ends with blessed are those who keep the words written here. So it's like, it's the frame of the whole book is blessing. So that's why if someone said, why would your church spend time on Revelation? Oh, because there's blessing here. 
My church wants to bless me. And so it opens up the scriptures to be a blessing, a benefit that I might be built up in my faith and to understand what has happened, what is happening, and what will happen. That's the blessing. The blessing is to be built up in your faith, to be corrected so you don't ruin your life, to be challenged so you would mature, to be encouraged so that you might endure for the sake of the gospel. It is a blessing to know the book of Revelation. Now, there are many lenses that people come to Revelation with. Now, in the book of Revelation, in our study together, we're going to learn a bunch of $10 words together. It's going to be super fun. And there are postures that people come to the book with, with kind of like their camp of what they've done with the book of Revelation, where they have placed it. And so let me just unpack the, the four primary camps that people come with an interpretive lens to the book of Revelation, okay? They are preterist, historist, futurist, an idealist. And if you were to put them on a timeline, all the way over here would be the preterist. Preterist just simply means past. And so theologians will come to the book of Revelation and say everything that's in the book of Revelation is in the past. All that got resolved under the, the governance of Rome, all that hardship was at the time that John wrote this. And all of those things probably got wrapped up in 70 AD, and they would be considered history at this point. That would be a full preterist. Now, some people like break this down, like, am I a partial preterist? How preterist are you? But the traditional full preterist is the book of Revelation is all past. And so there's nothing to look for in it for future. Now, you move from preterist to this other idea of historicist. Historicist says, okay, there are things that are still coming in Revelation, but the majority of Revelation can be interpreted through history by looking back. And so they would look at the book of, of Revelation in some sense of, hey, how do we decode this and connect it to events that have already happened in history? And so a historicist looks at the book of Revelation and says, okay, we can see the movements of church history. We can see where the Roman church shows up. We can see where the, where the Protestant church shows up. If we look at the book of Revelation, we can see where... The, the missions starts happening, where the revivalists start happening. And so they might put themselves later in the chapters of where they live today, but they can look at much of Revelation and say, you can interpret what has already happened up to this point. Then another camp is the futurist. The futurist says, okay, primarily the book of Revelation is about everything that's going to happen in the future. The majority of the book is things in the future, and we, we are on the precipice of it. And so instead of looking at the book of Revelation and trying to interpret the history of it, they would try to look at the book of, of, of Revelation and interpret the daily times of what's happening around the world. Is Gorbachev somebody we should pay attention to? What about Barack Obama, Donald Trump, America? And so everything is still future, and we're trying to figure out where, who is who and what is what. Then there's this idea, this posture, what's called the idealist. And the idealist doesn't say, okay, it's just rooted in the past or it's rooted in the future. These are biblical themes that are true for all time. What Revelation unpacks is really the story of, of God 
It's a story of good versus evil, of what it looks like to be the people of God really at any place in time. And the book really becomes a symbol of things throughout history and will be true even moving forward into the future. Now, I know your question. Which one are we? And I know this is a bit... Uh, lacking. But I'm not a big fan of ists. Because they put you in a camp that has all of these other entanglements that no one really in this room would say, well, I believe all of those different things. And it imposes several things onto the text. And so... To be maybe not helpful, yet trying to be helpful, if you're going to be an ist, be a biblicist. I know I'm not trying to rise above it and say, man, we're better than these guys and, and the way in which they've worked it out. I would just simply say, if you're going to put yourself in a camp and say, this is the lens in which I'm approaching revelation, and it's not going to be a preterist, it's all past, and it's not going to be historicist, like we're trying to figure out what's going on and what will happen. And we're not going to simply be a futurist of trying to read the times. And we're not going to be an idealist and symbolize everything. A biblicist is someone who takes the Bible literally. Now you're like, whoa, that's a big word, literal. Like, now we're in the book of Revelation, and I know it has the word dragon in it. And you're like, how literal do we take this? But if you're going to be a biblicist, you take your Bible very, very seriously. And you allow your Bible to teach you what the Bible says. And so one of, the, one of the principles of being a literalist is to be understanding what literary genre something is in. So do you read the Psalms different than you read the historical books of Exodus? Well, if you're going to be a literalist and take the Bible seriously, of course you do. And so what is this kind of literature, Revelation, that we're going to take literally, that we're going to allow it to speak for itself? So just in this first few verses, I want to just uncover, I want to kind of show you where I'm coming from and where we're going, okay? So the very first thing is this word, Revelation, that this book is a revelation. Now, this is where you got to just tell everybody it's not Revelations, it's Revelation, and some people in the room are like, man, we've heard that so many times. And others are like, oh, yes. It's not the Psalms, the collection of Psalms. It's the revelation, singular, like the fruit of the Spirit. So it's the revelation. And revelation is to reveal something. The purpose of this book is to make something known that would not have otherwise been known. Again, you are to be blessed, the one who understands and practices. The purpose of this is not confusion. It's actually to bring clarity. So revelation is to reveal. We see that in the very first chapter. Chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This whole thing is about Jesus. And we're going to see Jesus, perhaps in a way, that you've never seen him before. John is the author of this. Like he received this revelation about Jesus Christ. And, and John, the apostle, has written other books in the New Testament. He's written the Gospels, the historical accounts of Jesus. He's written multiple letters in the New Testament. And here John is going to see something of Jesus that Jesus told him about 
perhaps, but perhaps he's never seen before. Remember, Jesus is the one that he's been fishing with. He's been walking with, sleeping next to. He's the one who's been eating with. And so here is John seeing a picture of Jesus. Now, what, what's this picture of Jesus? Well, this whole Bible that you got, it's about Jesus. It's about God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but it's, it's to reveal who the Son is. And so the Old Testament, we often say, is Jesus concealed or Jesus promised. So you read the first section of your Bible, the first testament, and it's all about the promise of a Messiah to come, which is Jesus. So it's Jesus promised. And then you open up the Gospels, the beginning of your second testament, and it's going to talk about the historical acts of Jesus arrived. So Jesus promised, and then Jesus arrived, Advent. And then you're going to open up Acts and the epistles, and you're going to see Jesus victorious, his ongoing work through his people in his church around the world. And so you have Jesus promised, Jesus arrived, Jesus victorious over death at the right hand of the Father, and then Revelation is a picture of Jesus that will destroy anybody's idea of buddy Jesus. Jesus is my co-pilot. Me and Jesus are hang boys. It's the glorified, exalted, unbelievably awesome Jesus. And so you will see him as maybe you've never seen him before as the Lord of all lords and the king of all kings, and the one who judges the world. And so our view of Jesus will get huge in the book of Revelation. So the first thing is, it is Revelation. The second thing is, it's apocalyptic. Actually, that's what the, the literal word is, apocalypsis in the Greek. Apocalyptic means to be a revelation. This, this word, apocalyptic, is actually used throughout your New Testament. Paul used it. This is an example, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3, where he says, the mysteries of Christ, right, not known, have been made known through apocalypsis, or through the apocalypse, through the revelation, is how your Bible translates it. And so a simple way to think about apocalyptic revelation is that you're, you're what's, what's being revealed is the reality of earth the reality of our life through a heavenly perspective. It's the revelation of the reality of our life through a heavenly perspective. And oftentimes, apocalyptic literature, which we've run into before, Book of Daniel, think of, apocalyptic literature is very colorful. It's symbolic. It's illustrative. And it's trying to draw connections with your hearing to the broader story. So for example, here's how Revelation sort of works. It might be a bad example, but this is the best one I could come up with this week. Its imagery, its vividness, is going to draw on God's people's understanding of his word. And so it's rooted in the Old Testament. And one of the indictments of, of the modern Christians not understanding Revelation is their lack of understanding of their Old Testament. And so Revelation is often drawing on the well of imagery from the Old Testament. It's fulfillment of what has been promised. And so that's foreign to us. Now, what's not foreign to us is our own spoken language today. So 
for those of you who are sports people, raise your hand if you're like an NFL enthusiast. We've got a few in here. Okay. Decipher this for me. I had a vision of a two-headed goat. One head was that of a patriot and the other head of a buccaneer. And his fingers were like that of a wolverine. And what stood before him were seven laurels of silver. Who did I just describe? Tom Brady, right? Now, if you don't have the sports knowledge, it's like, what did you just say? And if you're trying to draw that, you're like, who is he talking about? So what's a goat? The greatest of all time. Two heads. He played for the Patriots and the Buccaneers. He had fingers like a Wolverine. What college did he go to? Michigan. Anthony, if that was you, man, it's prime time, is it not, CU Buff fans? Mm. And then the seven laurels, or trophies, are what? Super Bowl trophies. You see that? Okay, so you have sports knowledge. That's your world you live in. And if I were trying to reveal truths to you, I might use some of that common language of the day. Well, what's not common to us is the language that that John is hearing, that he is saturated in the scriptures. He knows everything that God has said. He knows his entire Old Testament inside and out. And so when he reads something like this, this is Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. John goes, Tom Brady. I know exactly who you're talking about. I know exactly what's being fulfilled. For his reservoir is different than ours. And so there's just an honesty that we have to have with each other of this will be a heavy lift at certain places. For us to do the work that we have have failed to do, which is understand the imagery that God has given us already in his word. So be a biblicist. Know your Bible. And so, for example, Lion of Judah. That's like the number one description of the promised Messiah coming out of the Old Testament. The lamb who was slain. John the Baptist, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's a picture of Jesus who's been crucified on the cross yet victorious. We'll see a description of of Jesus with with a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. You draw that? That's weird. (laughs) But then you look back at Isaiah 49, Ephesians 5, Hebrews 4. God has made my lips like a sword. He's talking about his words. The word of God is like a two-edged sword. Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Oh, it's a description of Jesus coming with the word of God. Got it. Does that make sense? 
So be a biblicist. Know your Bibles. Okay, so it's revelation to reveal, not to simply conceal, and it's apocalyptic literature. I love this about Revelation, is that if you go to Revelation chapter 22, verse 10, the end of the book, Jesus says, and he said to me, do not seal up the words of this prof or of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Don't seal it up. Now, that's drastically different than what Daniel was told. If you go to Daniel chapter 8, verse 26, in his vision, which, which parallels much of what we're going to see in Revelation at times, because the vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. So what Daniel had sealed up has now been open for us to know to understand, and to be blessed by. Okay, so it's revelation to reveal, not to conceal, not to seal up. It's, a, it's apocalyptic in its language. You have to know that it's the kind of literature that we're in and how it works. It's also prophetic. And prophecy has two things. We talk about this all the time. It is both foretelling and forthtelling. When God would send a prophet to his people, it would have both a message for correction, for their encouragement. That's the forth telling. Like when you open up the scriptures and say, this is what the Lord says about our life and how we are to live. That's the forth telling of a prophet. And it's often connected to a foretelling so that you know the message is true. Well, this is what is to come in the days ahead. And so it is prophecy. Where do we get that? Again, right from the opening of the book. Here is Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And so now it's kind of helping us understand what is it that we're engaging with? Well, it's something that will correct the behaviors of the church. There's a lot of forthtelling. Thus says the Lord to the Christian, to the witness, the one who's suffering, going through hardship. This is the encouragement that you get. And it is foretelling. The things that are going to happen are near. And so it is prophetic. Also, there's the last kind of point I want to put out for you. It's historical, okay? It's not fantasy. And where do I get that? Again, go right back to the very beginning of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 4 through 5. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. So this is Patmos, the island that he writes from. That's an actual picture of Patmos in the bumper video and on the slides. That's where John was. So he receives this at a historical place in time. And he's to write these things down. And this is a traveling letter to seven historical churches. Here's a picture of, of where Patmos is in the world. You can see it on the, the edge of Turkey. And if you zoom in here, you're going to see that there's actually seven historical churches that this letter went to. We're going to spend some time on this in a few weeks. But I just show this to you now to know that this book is rooted in history. And this went to an actual people on the planet, breathing the same air you breathe. And so it's not just simply fantasy. It is for the blessing of the churches, those who love and follow Jesus, for you in your moment in history. And so that's just something we just have to have in our minds. As the book opens, it tells us, it informs us how to treat it. It's revelation to be known. It's apocalyptic in how it is made known. 
It's prophetic in both its foretelling and forthtelling, and it's historical, meant for an original audience that they had to understand themselves and to our benefit as well. And all of it is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Now, I know there are many different ways in which people come to Revelation, and we have different opinions maybe of sequencing and events and who's who, but here are several characteristics of Orthodox Christianity that all Orthodox views hold. One, Jesus Christ is the only Savior of the world. Two, Jesus is victorious at the right hand of the Father. Three, Jesus is coming soon. And his coming will be visible, bodily, and glorious. Four, Jesus Christ comes to judge the living and the dead. And five, Jesus comes to establish his eternal kingdom, the repair and reconciliation of the cosmos. Those are five orthodox Christian views that we will see in Revelation that every Christian holds to. And we will see them in a glorious way. And I'm telling you, friends, we are going to be so blessed. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to be in your final book of the Bible to open up this week with an anticipation of seeing more clearly who our Savior is. And so, Father, I just pray that every man and woman in this room would, would come together on Sundays with a spirit of humility, a desire to see and to know. Having spent time with you in your word this week, Father, we just ask that you would bless us I pray a blessing from Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, on Calvary Bible Church that would not be ours unless we journey through this book. And so, Father, we simply ask in all humility, in all humility, bless us. Bless us, Lord, with your word that is to be known and followed. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen.